As we look at this series talking about relationships, I want you to just think for a moment about all the different relationships that we have. There's tons of different relationships that we have, right? We've got friends, we've got coworkers, we've got spouses and kids and parents, and we've got maybe even enemies, people that we have that we don't like. We've got uh, just casual acquaintances, neighbors, I mean, all sorts of different relationships that we have. There's, there's a wide variety, and I don't know how you feel when you think about your relationships. How do you feel when you think about even the word relationships or when you think about going through your mind about the relationships that you have? How do you feel? What, is it, what does it bring up in you? If you just kind of Google relationships and type in relationships are, it's interesting that a lot of what comes up is difficult stuff. Relationships are hard or hard work or overrated or a two-way street that it kind of goes both ways, I'm assuming. Relationships are built on trust. They're work. They're too much work. They're not 50-50. I like that someone just is typing in there. Relationships are not 50-50. Close window. Like, okay, you just wanted Google to know that that's how you felt. Or if you type in how relationships feel, relationships feel like a chore. They feel suffocating, a burden, unnatural, pointless, draining. Sometimes maybe this is how you feel. This is, it's interesting, again, this is not my search history, this is just what you type in when you enter in relationships, that this is the collective consciousness that we have at some point around relationships, or relationships are like, maybe you go into a metaphor, they're like flowers, plants, trees, that kind of makes sense, mirrors, birds, and then a rope, and then farts, I don't even know what that means, maybe you feel that way, relationships are like farts. Like glass? I don't know what that, maybe they just shatter easily or, they, I don't know, they stab you, they get in your foot, I don't know. But all of that is maybe kind of how we can feel about relationships, even the best ones that we have. And I just want you to think, and we're going to explore this for a handful of weeks, but what if your relationships could get better? What if they could get better? What if our relationships could be better? The most common thing that I talk with people about as a pastor for many, many years has been relationships. And there's a wide variety of those things. That might be people's wanting relationships. They, they want a spouse. It might be marriage issues. It might be parenting issues. It might be conflict and friendship issues. All sorts of things. We all need, and I put myself in this boat, we all need help with our relationships. Whether that's true if you're just starting some kind of relationship, you're just starting parenting, just starting marriage, whether that's true because you want them and you don't have the relationships that you want, maybe it's true just that your relationships are really good right now, but they could get better. There could be more health and more joy that you have. So here's what I want you to do today, and really throughout the series, but here's what I want you to do today. I want you to think of somebody. Don't try to think of everybody. Don't try to just think of relationships as this big, broad category. I want you to think of somebody and try to keep that person in your mind throughout the rest of our time together exploring relationships and maybe throughout the rest of the series together. What if your hardest relationship could improve? What if whatever the most difficult relationship, the one that is the most stressing, the one that feels like a fart, what if, what if, what if that one could get better? And what if your best relationship, whatever that one is, whatever the one that brings you the most joy, and what if that relationship could get even deeper, could bring even more joy and even more life? That is 
possible. I believe that whether it's your hardest relationship or your best relationship, that all of us can move beyond whatever the basic way that we operate in relationships is. There is a possibility of deeper hope, deeper healing, deeper health, deeper joy, deeper uh, just quality and satisfaction in all of our relationships. Relationships, you know this, but relationships are the core of our life. The quality of your relationships will be the quality of your life. I don't know anybody that says, all of my relationships suck, but I love my life. It doesn't exist. Because if, you're, if your boss or your co-working relationships are bad, it doesn't matter how much your job pays, you'll hate your job, which will affect a lot of your life. It doesn't matter if you have great hobbies or people that have tons of money, they will often say things like, yeah, but man, I'm lonely, or I don't have this. or it's, it, the, re, the relationships are the core of our life. And so the quality of your relationships will be the quality of your life. And there are many needs that we have when it comes to relationships, right? There's a lot of different things that we could talk about. There's a lot of different skills we could talk about to improve. There's a lot of different aspects of relationships. I could do a whole series on parenting or a whole series on marriage. There's all sorts of variety that we could focus in on. But this series, we're going to talk about a handful of things that I think will apply to all of our relationships. So keep a specific relationship in mind. And today, we're just going to focus in on the foundation. We need to be able to have a foundation, something that we can come back to, that whatever we're talking about in relationships, whether it's communication or serving each other or whatever it is, we need to be able to have a foundation that we can come back to. Sometimes companies, you know, they have their core values, and if the company starts to get off track, they, they might come in and say, what are our values? What's our mission or our purpose? What are we really about? And come back to that again and again and again. Or if there's decisions that need to be made, they come back to that. Or sometimes in marriage, I don't know if you've ever done this, I do this, I think about the vows that I made. And I think about, okay, what, what, am I, what are we really even doing? What are the things that I promised? What are the vows? And come back to that. We need a foundation for our relationships that help us know what really is our core problem and what is the core solution or even direction that we should be moving in, whatever the issue is, whatever the relationship is. That's what we're going to be talking about today so that we can return to it over and over again. And then as we go throughout the series, we'll look at how that affects all sorts of different practical things. So here's what I want to start out with today. Just to begin with, this question, why are relationships so important? You know this, but relationships are crucial. As I said, the quality of our life is the quality of our relationships. They are absolutely crucial, which is why if you don't have relationships, if you don't have friendships or a spouse or family, if you don't have community, if you don't have relationships, they, it's devastating. I don't know if you've read some of the studies around this, but uh, this is a recent article from the New York Times that says how loneliness is damaging our health. And this is saying even before the pandemic, there was an epidemic of loneliness and it was affecting physical health and life expectancy. These are just a couple quotes. It says that the United States Surgeon General said that the country was experiencing an epidemic of loneliness driven by the accelerated pace of life and the spread of technology into all of our social interactions. With this acceleration, he said, efficiency and convenience have edged out 
the time-consuming messiness of real relationships. Maybe you have felt that. Maybe you didn't hear what I just said because you're on your phone. Uh, The next one that was in here is he says this, the result is a public health crisis on the scale of the opioid epidemic or obesity. An often cited meta-analysis compared the risk effects of loneliness, isolation, and weak social networks to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is worse for your health than smoking. So why? That's kind of just to set up my question. Why is it so important such that if we don't have them or if the quality of them isn't good, it's, it's actually bad for us psychologically, it's bad for us emotionally, it's bad for us physically? Why are they so crucial? Why are they so important? We know that so much of our identity is wrapped up in our relationships. So much of our emotion is wrapped up in our relationships. So much of conflict and and joy is wrapped up in relationships. Why? Why are they so crucial? Why are they so important? Why is it that I can make a statement and say that the quality of your relationships will equal the quality of your life? Why? Why is that the case? Here's what I want to show to you. Two reasons. First, starting with our DNA. DNA determines a lot of stuff, right? You have brothers or sisters, or you look at your parents and you go, man, I'm, even if I try not to be like them, I am like them. Even if I, you know, why I was with my, um, <clears throat> Dion and I were at a, a conference this week, and uh, a pastor's conference, in my, which is really boring for probably most people, but we were at uh, you know, a pastor's conference, and my brother happened to be there also, and we were meeting up with him and some of his friends, and his, his uh, friends, we were at a, a place, and they, he was having a sandwich, and they brought him all these sauces, and they lined up all these sauces, this is my brother's friends, in front of him as kind of a joke, because about how much he loves sauces. And I never knew that. I love sauces. It's like, oh, you're my brother, and it must be DNA. My favorite thing is to go to Red Robin and get, I, I used to work at Red Robin, so I'm like, all right, I always apologize first, and then I was like, I need two orders of fries, and I give them a long list of all the, I need blue cheese, I need ranch, I need the Baja ranch, I need blue cheese with lemon squeezed into it, or you can just bring me a side of lemons. I need honey mustard, I need barbecue sauce, I need, and I list out all these sauces, because I know all the sauces, the secret sauces, the other, all the stuff, and I, because I just love sauces, and I was like, this is crazy, we, their DNA is so strong that we love sauces, it must be a family thing. Our DNA is powerful, right? It determines a lot of stuff. Now, that's true physically, it's true with different traits that we are, but it's true spiritually as well. It's true spiritually as well. Here's what the Bible says about how you were created, about what's in your DNA. God said, this is at the beginning of creation, when God made humanity, it said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You are made in the image of God. It means you are made to show something of what God is like to reflect something of what God is like. It means in your very spiritual DNA, in who you are, in the deepest part of you, is imprinted something of what God is like. Now, this is important to look. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. See, it's not just that you're made in the image of God. We have to say, who is God? God is Trinity, which means Father, Son and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God. That's a, one of the hardest kind of things to wrap your mind around if you're new to Christianity. But the Bible teaches that there is one God, but that he exists in three persons in community. Which means this, in your, if you are made in the image of God, 
you are made in your very DNA as a community person because God is a community God. He has existed in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, eternally, forever. And when he said, I am making you in my image, he said, I'm making you in our image, which means imprinted upon you. This is why relationships are so crucial. You are made in the image of a community God, which means you are a community person, whether you like it or not. It means that in your very DNA, you are made to be a community person. And we can go further than that to say, okay, so what is this God like that we are made in the image of? And what, how does this affect relationships? What, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So again, if you push in and say, what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? God is love. And you can't have love if it was just kind of this single entity that didn't exist in community. If God is love, then that means that he is in community forever, for always, and that this deep, loving community of who God is, again, is who he made you to be. You were made, because you're made in the image of God, to be in loving community. Jesus says it like this in John 17. As he is uh, preparing to be crucified, he's praying, and he says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me, because you loved me before the world's foundation. Again, referring to that idea that God is love. God is existing. You need to get this image of God existing in perfect, loving community forever. And out an overflow of that, he creates humanity to be something of what he is like, to represent, to be in the image of not just this single person, but in the image of loving community. And I'll just give you one more that um, says, just actually, never mind, I thought I had one more. Uh, back to this, there's all sorts, but it says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So, Here's what this all means. In your very DNA, you are made to represent God, which means you will always be incomplete. You will always be incomplete if you don't have the loving community that you are made to reflect. You will be, I would even go as far as to say, inhuman without it. That is why relationships are so crucial. It's why without them, we experience such pain because you're working against who you are. Have you ever had something in your life that you felt like, man, I was just made for this? Maybe it's a sport or maybe it's uh, the job that you have now or some hobby where you just feel like, man, this is, just, this is just who I'm made to be. You sit down and you paint and you're just like, that's me. I'm just an artist. Or you, um, you play music or you're an engineer and you just always numbers and math and boring stuff like that. You're just like, oh, that's me. Or if you're in sales, just talking to people, you're just, this is what I was made for. Whatever it is, you're just, this is me. That is you. You were made for community. And even if you say, I hate community, I'm an introvert, and I, I've been burned by community, and community hurts me. See, that's just the reaction, though, to how important it actually is. You were made for community. You were made to show and represent what God is like. And he's a loving community God forever. That's the first reason that relationships are so important. It's who you were made to be. Second thing that I want to show you is this. 
<clears throat> maybe some of you have heard me talk about this second piece before, but it's so important that I, I can't skip by it. In the Christian life, and this is true whether you've been a Christian for a long time or if you're just kind of exploring, in the Christian life, what kind of hopes do you have to experience in the Christian life? What do you hope to get out of Christianity or what do you hope to get out of life with God? There's all sorts of things that people often say. I've often done this on a whiteboard and asked people to say, what is it that you hope to get out of life with God or life in Christianity? And a lot of times people say peace. I want to be able to experience peace. Or maybe it's forgiveness. You want to be able to experience forgiveness from God or you want to be able to experience a comfort from God or maybe you want to be able to experience purpose in your life and meaning in your life from God or hope from God for a better future or that things will work out in your life. Uh, there, there's all, maybe it's just growth. You say, what are the things I want out of life with God is I want God to help me grow. I want to experience change. There's certain areas that I know I need to improve in. And I hope God helps me grow. There's all sorts of things that we want to experience out of life with God. You could probably boil all of that down in some ways to saying I want to experience love from God and a comfort that comes through love, and a peace that comes from love, and a change that comes from love, and a joy that comes from love, and all these different things. But really, we want, we want to experience God loving us. That's what we want. How do we get that? Sometimes we try by reading the Bible. Sometimes we try by praying. Sometimes maybe by reading certain books, or maybe even coming to church, or various things that we try by ourselves to experience some sort of love or all of the sub-pieces of that in life with God. And what ends up happening is it still is very elusive. It's hard to get. We might get little glimmers of it. We might get little pieces of it, but we don't quite get it. And here's why. Because the Bible says that all of the things that, that we want in life with God, comfort, joy, forgiveness, peace, all of these things that we want from life with God or life with Christ, in Christianity, all of these things that we want, the Bible says that comes to us mainly, not exclusively, but mainly not just in this direct relationship, but it comes to us through other people. Let me, let me show you a couple ways where it says this. First John, John is writing and he says this, love consists in this. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So it says, God has loved us in this great way where he sends Jesus to the world to die for our sins, to save us. Even though we should die, he dies in our place to rescue us, forgive us. That's love. That is what love is. Not that we have so much love for God. Love is defined by what he has done for us, how he has given himself to us. Then he says, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Look at this. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. No one has ever seen God. Have you seen him? No. We don't see God. But if we love one another, what happens is that God remains in us. He's there, and his love is made complete in us, which means we experience God's love. It's saying you don't physically see God. He's not right there. You want this love that it talks about, you want to see that love, feel that love, experience that love, but you don't. 
unless you experience it through other people. He remains, he's present, he's among you, loving you as we love each other. Then his love is made complete in us, which means you want to experience God's love? It happens as we love one another. Here's another part that speaks to this. John 15, again, as Jesus is leaving, he says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends, which is what he is about to do. Now look at this. He says, remain in my love, which means stay in it, live in it, experience it. That's what we want, right? That's what you want in the Christian life. That's what you want in life with God. You want to live and stay experiencing God's love. How do you do that? How do you remain in his love? He says, if you keep my commands, you will stay in my love. Okay, so I want to live in God's love. I want to experience all that's offered with him. How do I do that? I, I obey his commands. Okay, but what commands is he talking about? He doesn't, he's not just pulling out the Ten Commandments and saying, do all these things. It is specifically, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. So the way to remain in his love is as we love each other. You want to experience love. You want to experience all that is offered in life with God. He says the way it happens is not just directly from him, but it happens through one another. And I'll show you one final one really quick. This says in 1 Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Now this is kind of a, a different, uh, not, not on the love piece, but it's saying that the church is the body of Christ, which means if you want to experience who Jesus is today, you don't have his physical body that you can walk up to, similar to what John said, that no one has seen God, but that the way that you experience the presence of Jesus today, the way you experience his body today is through other people. You are the body of Christ. If you are a Christian, you are a part of Christ which means that the way that you can experience all that he is is through one another. So, why are relationships so important? First, because it's in our very DNA. And second, because in the Christian life, we have all these different hopes of what we want to experience from God. Joy, peace, comfort, etc. And that comes to us not mainly through this direct connection but mainly comes to us through other people. This is so important, and if you reflect on your life, you can think of how probably the times that you most have felt God's love wasn't just by yourself reading a book, reading the Bible. It's probably through another person. Probably the times you most felt God's comfort in your life came through another person. Probably the times you most felt God's help in you to, to grow in some way came through another person. This is why your relationships are so crucial. And listen, this is why you are so crucial to the relationships that you have. How will your children experience God's love? Mainly through you. How will your friends experience God's serving and comfort? Mainly through you. How will people around you experience God's help for them to grow? Mainly through you. 
See, we are both needy of this and needed in this because we are the way that God expresses his love through one another. People will know God's love, feel God's love, experience God's love through you, and you will experience it through other people. So in your very DNA, you are made to be a community person. We are people, people. The Christian life is the community life. And all that's offered in life with God comes mainly as we experience it through others. God does not just want you to believe in him, to believe that he exists, to have some sort of faith in him. He wants you to feel and experience his love and to be a part of giving that to other people. That's the first thing, why relationships are so important. But we also know this, that relationships are difficult, right? They're like glass. They're hard work. They're not 50-50, all those things, right? Relationships are difficult. I can talk about this beautiful picture and say, man, they're amazing. It's in your very DNA, and you're made for it. And there's a part of you maybe that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there might be another part of you that says, ah, mine don't feel like that. Mine feel in pain. Mine feel broken. And this is true. Anyone that has ever wanted quality relationships, anyone that has ever wanted healthy relationships, whatever those are, has experienced difficulty. I think it's odd and uh, deceptive in some ways. If you Google various relationships, put them into Google images, the kinds of things that come out, of what it's presented as. If you put in friendship, this is what it looks like. This is the top kind of images. Like, okay, maybe sometimes that's what my friendship looks like. But I'm usually on the outside, the one taking the pictures. All of my friends have a fun time. Or if you put in marriage, it's all these beautiful pictures, right? Usually of the wedding. Never shows kind of the fighting afterwards or any of those things. It shows this. If you uh, put in parenting, this is what parenting looks like. Right, parents? This is all it ever looks like. Everybody is literally holding hands. Well, actually, in all these pictures, I think everyone is holding, you know? That's what it looks like. This is what our family looks like all the time. We don't even have a baby, but we just put one of the kids in the stroller just so we can look like this, you know? If you put in uh, neighbors, this is what it looks like, right? Doesn't show the person with loud barking dogs. Uh, doesn't show the person that mows at six in the morning. Uh, it's just, this is what neighbors look like. It, it, and if you put in coworkers, this is what it looks like again, right? You're like, I don't know, most people just, it doesn't show one guy working by themselves on a Zoom screen, right? It shows all these people just having a great time and everyone's looking at the right person and the right, you know, it's just, it's just beautiful. This is what all of our kind of major relationships that it's presented as, but we know that our relationships are difficult. Even the best are difficult. We are made for relationships, but probably your greatest hurts in life have come from relationships. Probably your deepest pain has come from relationships. It's, it both is our greatest desires and our greatest joy, and yet our deepest pain and our deepest hurt. Probably your deepest longings of wanting more of something is around relationships. Probably your deepest shame and guilt, in some ways, is connected to relationships, people that you wish you would have done better with, people that you failed, people that you didn't do a good job with. Our deepest hurts, our deepest pains, our deepest longings, our deepest guilts and shames, most of that revolves around our relationships. 
our relationships can just be bad. They can be lacking. They can be busy, and so just not what we want. They can be technologically distracted, like they were talking about in the article. They can just be kind of casual and surface level. Our relationships are difficult. That's true. Why? Here's what the Bible says. It's a simple answer, but the answer is sin. Romans 3.23 says there is no distinction. All, so all your relationships, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You and I are sinners, people that reject God and ignore God and ultimately fall short of seeing him as the ultimate beautiful thing in our life that changes us. We fall short of the glory of God. But here's what I think is so important. What is sin? A lot of times the way I define it is it's rejecting and ignoring God, and that's true. But what does that mean then of what it, how it plays out in our life? And this is such a helpful definition for today of our sin and our relationships. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says about Jesus, He died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So Jesus comes and dies to save you from your sin, Right? And then there's a transformation that takes place. There's a change that takes place. And what is that change? He says, they no longer live for themselves, which means the core of what sin is. The core essence of what sin is, is we live for ourselves. Now, if that's true, don't you think that'll affect our relationships? If what sin is, and we are all sinners, is that we live for ourselves, we're created for this loving community, right? We're created for this self-giving, loving community that models the Trinity. That's what we're created for. But we're all sinners, and we live for ourselves is what sin means. The way that uh, some of the early theologians talked about it, Augustine, Martin Luther, they talked about sin in Latin as incurvatus in se, which means that you are curved in on yourself, that that's how they defined what sin is, that you're curved in, bent in on yourself. Really, this is what that's saying, that we live for ourselves. Here's, here's another way that the Bible talks about it. And again, I could give you tons of information on all these things, but in James 4, it says, what's the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. Very similar. Saying what causes all the different conflicts that we have? It comes because there's things that you want and you don't have them. Now let me just kind of flesh this out a little bit. Our community groups are going to be going through this book together as we go through this series called Change in Your Relationships. And he talks about this idea that our sin is really about living for ourselves. And he talks about a handful of different ways that this expresses. So let me read through these. This is kind of a paraphrase from the book, but you can, you can see where this shows up for you. Self-centeredness. When we reject God, we create a void that cannot remain empty. Sin will lead us to instinctively fill it with ourselves. Self-rule. Others are expected to do our bidding and bow to our control. Self-sufficiency. If we don't see that we're dependent on God, it's unlikely that we will be humbly dependent on other people. So sometimes because we are so self-sufficient, we don't need other people. We're not vulnerable with other people. That hurts our relationships. Self-righteousness. We will always set ourselves up as the standard, leading us to develop an inflated view of ourselves and an overly critical view of others. 
Again, if you live for yourself, you're the, your own standard, which can lead to this. Self-satisfaction. We can try to find satisfaction in material things, which will lead to a disinterest in relationships. So maybe you don't have relationships at all or using them as a means to get what we want. Or we can try to find satisfaction in people using relationships for our own happiness. So that one can express itself in not having relationships, being codependent in your relationships, or just using them as a tool to get what it is that you want. And then finally, self-taught. When we are our own source of truth and wisdom, we forsake the humble, teachable spirit that is vital to a good relationship. We don't really need anyone else's opinion. We don't really need anyone else's counsel. We don't really need anyone else's input because we live for ourselves. That has its expression, living for yourself has its expression in many different things. A self-dependency, a self-righteousness, self-taughtness, all of these different things. So what's supposed to be these relationships that are self-giving love modeled after the Trinity instead become self-focused, living for ourselves, either causing us not to have relationships or causing us to infect the relationships we have in some ways. Now, this is what all of our problem is because this is what sin is and this is what makes our relationships so difficult. And listen to me, the closer that you are in your relationships, the harder they are. I don't have any conflict with my barber, even when they haven't done such a great job. I'm never, I'm never having a bad day and someone's like, what's going on? It's like, oh, me and my barber, man, it's just, I don't know. Our communication isn't great and just, you know, he doesn't text me back. It's just, it's, it's never happened. The closer you are in relationship, the harder they are because two people's self-centeredness and self-focus is combining. And so it creates a war of all those things. You're self-righteous, I'm self-righteous. You're self-taught, I'm self-taught. So that's why in marriage relationships, it's really hard. Parents and kids, it's really hard. Maybe you start to move out from that. Your closest friends can be hard. Your family can be hard. Your community group can be hard. Your church can be hard. The country can be hard. I mean, it just kind of keeps expanding, but the closer it is, the harder that it is in our relationships. Which means this, we have to start, if this is true, that the main problem in our relationships is our living for ourselves as an expression of what sin is. If that's true, it means we have to start by saying this. Here's, here, this is kind of the, the stepping stone to beginning on moving beyond basic relationships. It's to say, I'm the problem. That's where we have to start. I love the way Tim Keller, author and pastor, says this, and he uh, says it about marriage, but I think it's true in all of our relationships. He says, if two spouses each say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in the marriage, then you have the prospect of a truly great marriage. It only takes one to begin. If both people say, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem, that is the pathway to confession, it's the pathway to beginning to develop health in your relationship. Now, let me just say this, that obviously there's cases where this is not true. You could be in an abusive relationship. There could be all sorts of things that, that make it so that this is not the case, okay? That's true. So I don't, if, you're, if any of that kind of applies to you, I don't want you to hear that, but 
the majority of relationships, this is true. This is how we should approach them. It's not even saying it's 50% them, 50% me. It's saying I'm going to treat my self-centeredness that I bring to the table as the main issue. I can't control someone else to get them to treat it that way, but I can say I'm going to treat mine as the main problem. It's so easy to focus on other people and their problems instead of saying, what if I start by treating my sin, my self-centeredness as the main issue? Relationships are difficult because we live for ourselves and it expresses in all sorts of ways. Here's our final question. How do we get better relationships? I don't want to leave you on a, a bad, sad note. Be like, I'm, I'm so self-focused and self-righteous. Great. All right. I guess there's a lot of hope for me. This is why relationships are like farts. You know, that's not, that's not how I want to leave you. Okay. So how do we get better relationships? How do we get the kind of relationships that are what we're made for, that are modeled after this loving community of Trinity, this self-giving God? How do we get our relationships to look and model and feel more like that? So think about your person, think about the person in your head, and think what it could, what it would look like in your relationship if it was better, if it was healthier, if it was improved. And how right now are you trying to do that? If you are trying, how, how are you trying to experience greater health? Sometimes we try just through greater focus. Our communication isn't good. I'm really going to try to focus on communication. And they, they think that I don't really serve them very well. I'm really going to focus on serving them. Sometimes we try with just this greater focus, this greater discipline, this greater commitment we, maybe even at New Year's, we say, this is the year I'm really going to invest in my family or I'm going to make more time for my friends or I'm going to, whatever it is, whatever relationship, parents to kids or spouses or friendships, whatever it is, how are you trying to experience greater health? What we often try to do is to work on whatever specific thing it is that we have been told that we need to work on or that we feel we need to work on. That's okay. That's the start. But we need something more than that. Because if that's the way that we approach it, it's like knowing, think about maybe if you're driving somewhere, it's like knowing what the destination is. Put it in Google Maps. Get all the, you get, or you put it in MapQuest if you're 90. You put it in there and you, you see all the directions of, okay, here's where we need to go. Here's all the different steps. I, I have a roadmap of how to get there. But you turn on the car and you got no gas. A lot of times that's what it feels like in our relationships. We know what needs to change. We know what needs to happen. We know our serving, our communication, our, our helpfulness around the house, or our gentleness, or our patience. We know what needs to change, but we don't have the power. We don't have the gas. And in order to move beyond where we are, we need something that has the power to move us out of that self-centered core, something that can de-self-centerize us, that's what we're going to see. The answer is the good news of Jesus. Look at, we're going to show you, I'm going to show you a couple of these. And we'll see how much time I have. <clears throat> I'm going to show you at least two. 1 John 4.19 says this. We love because he first loved us. So the reason that we love God and the reason we love other people is because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Now look at this. 
I mentioned it, but we love because he first loved us, which means if you want to be loving and not be hateful, and again, those are just big bucket categories. Under hate, you could put all the different problems we have in our relationships. And under love, you could put all the ways we want to grow in our relationships. How does that happen? It happens the way that we become loving is as we first experience the way that he has loved us. So the power for you to be a loving person to the people around you, for you to be a helpful person, a hospitable person, a serving person, a comforting person, a gentle person, a kind person, a patient person, it's as you first experience the love that he has for you. When you experience his self-giving love to you, it begins to change you to be able to give that kind of love. Here's another one. Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, all these relational qualities, gentleness, patience. If your relationships had these, wouldn't they be better? These are the kinds of things that we want, right? Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So look at all the things that it kind of says that we are to do. To have this compassion, forgiveness, patience, to put on love, to be thankful. We want that in our relationships. If we have that in our relationships, they would be better. If you have that in whatever your hardest relationship is, it would be better. This is the kinds of things that's the roadmap. Here's where we need to go, right? How do you do it? Look at the other parts of what it has said. You are God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. He's reminding you. Before he tells you anything to do, he reminds you. God has loved you. God has chosen you. God has given you his self-giving love. Talks about forgiveness, but first it says Remember, God has forgiven you. See, any command that we are called to, any map or direction, the way to get there, the power that helps us get there is first, I can't forgive someone if I don't remember God has forgiven me. Let me, let me just, maybe, maybe just take this piece this week. When, you, when you're challenged to forgive someone, here's what you need to do. This is, I do this all the time. I stop and I go, God, it's hard for me to forgive this person right now. Remind me of how much you've forgiven me. Remind me of, I've sinned way worse against you than what this person's doing against me. Remind me of how you have forgiven me. That then gives the power to forgive. Struggle to love somebody? Remind yourself, God, you chose me. I'm dearly loved by you. The peace of Christ, let that rule your hearts. Even when he's talking about let the word of Christ dwell among you, what that means is the word of Christ isn't just the Bible, it is the good news, it's the gospel, it's the message of what Jesus has come to do. It's his salvation, his forgiving you of your sins and giving you life. It's let that dwell, live, saturate, soak, be pushed down. Let that be inside of you in all these different ways. And that will allow you to then give that to other people. I had one more. I'm going to skip it for time, but it's all over the Bible. That's so good. This is the best thing in the whole sermon. Um, and there you go. 
I knew I, I, I had hope I could make it, but I knew I wasn't going to. So I was just like, I'm going to put that in there, and if I can get to it, all right. But it's all over the Bible that the way that you have the power, the way that you have the gas to actually move the car, to be able to do the things that we want to in our relationships, only comes as you first experience it from him. The way that you become patient is by letting his word dwell in you of how he's been infinitely patient with you. The way you become gentle is by experiencing again how gentle he's been with you. The way you become a servant is by remembering again how much he has served you. See, you need to live in and have it dwell in you what he has done for you. That gives you the power to do it to others. If not, you just have the map. You know what you're supposed to do, but you don't have the gas. You don't have the power to do it. And this is what, this is what causes so much stuckness in our relationships. You know what needs to change. If you're like me, you know what needs to change in your relationships. Some of us are blind and have tons of blind spots and don't get it, but most of us know. I know what needs to improve. I know what I need to work on. But we're stuck. And a lot of times it's because we're not dwelling here. We're not letting what he has done for us be the power that moves us forward. This is how we get the relationships that we were designed for. We are designed for this relationships of self-giving love because we're made in the image of God. Our self-centeredness in sin keeps us from that. And so what we need, again, is to come back to the self, ultimate self-giving love of a God that would give himself for us, a God that would give everything for us, would humble himself to die for us and resurrect for us and give his son to us. When we come back to that self-giving love, that has the power to de-self-center us and to have the kind of relationships that we're made for. This is the foundation. Your relationships matter. I don't know what you're facing. What are you facing in your relationships? Where do you feel the difficulty in the pain? What this is telling us is it's possible to experience better relationships. It's possible to experience greater health, to move beyond where you are, wherever it is, in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, whatever it is, this is how. So here's what this means as we close. We're going to take communion in just a moment. And here's what I want you to think about. If you want to grow in your relationships, first thing is this. You have to see what the need is. You have to do what we, we looked at. You have to say, my self-centeredness is the key issue. And as, even as you take communion, when we take communion, we're remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And so as you take communion, confess your sins. Say to God, God, I have been self-centered. Be specific. In a sermon, I can't list out all your sins in all the specific ways, but you know them. And so confess that to God. Confess the ways you have lived for yourself. Confess that to him, and then remind yourself of what he's done for you. Just like we were talking about, remind for you the way that he has been loving to you, the way he's been gracious to you. Let that word dwell in you. Let it sit in you. Thank him for his grace and his forgiveness and his salvation and his self-giving love to you. And then I want you to think about what your next step is. What does it look like to obey? What does it look like to follow that map? Maybe it's to confess to a person ways that you've been self-centered. Maybe it is to 
join a community group or to register for startup or one of those kind of things that we talked about to actually develop relationships. I don't know what the next step is for you, but take a step. Make a commitment to take some step to not stay where you are, to move beyond where you are. Take that one person that I asked you to think about. What's your next step with them? Make some sort of commitment, ask for God's help, and remind yourself of what he's done for you that empowers you to be able to change in your relationships with them. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for your self-giving love. How though we are sinful, the good news is that you have forgiven every sin in our relationships, every way we have failed in our relationships, every way that we have been self-centered in our relationships. You have forgiven each of those. You have put those to death on Christ, on the cross. We thank you for that. I pray, Lord, that as we take some time to take communion and then sing, that you would remind us of your goodness and what you've done for us and that that would bleed into all of our relationships, that there would be greater help. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.